Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Derek Chang. Derek is Senior Director of Marketing at Tapalti. And in this episode, we talk about account-based marketing, the marriage between content marketing and demand gen, and what engagement generation actually looks like. In a few moments, you'll hear Derek talk about some of the best practices that were developed around virtual events, both those that Tapalti hosted and other conferences that they sponsored. Derek and the team at Tapalti have the full arsenal of content at their disposal. They collaborate cross-functionally, both for internal content needs and collateral that is used externally on social media and other B2B channels. Companies are increasingly creating podcasts, but they're frequently just the CEO yucking it up with other thought leaders or key customers for 30 minutes. Y'all, this isn't really thought leadership, and it almost definitely isn't driving business outcomes. Derek talks about engagement generation and how authenticity is an increasingly critical part of B2B marketing. Here's an idea for you. If you're going to go through the motions of creating company podcasts, tie it to major initiatives like a conference. Create content specific to the themes of the conference. Invite your speakers to create their own podcasts in support of their talks and panels. What if you invited your sponsors to create their own podcasts that were exclusively distributed to conference registrants? Embed it on your conference website. Put it behind that gate. Make it exclusive. Do you have a three-day conference? Publish a unique podcast each day so that people can get caught up on all the amazing education that your company helped to facilitate. Did you set up a Slack workspace or using Slack Connect as a way to drive engagement pre and post conference? Publish your audio content there. Your audio is an engagement driver. It's a continuity builder. And it's a way to capture the attention of a prospect or a partner for 10, 15, 30 minutes at a time. Very few white papers will ever be able to accomplish that. Venly is the audio platform for business, and we believe that your audio content should live where you do business. Privately and securely share podcasts of Slack, microsites, PDFs, and email, all with enterprise analytics. Curious about how audio can be a part of your engagement generation strategies? Email me directly at brian at venly.co. That's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at venly, V-E-N-N-L-Y, dot C-O. And now, the great Derek Chang. Hi, Derek. Hello, Brian. Derek Chang is Senior Director of Corporate Marketing at Tapalti, a leading global payables and finance operations provider for high-velocity companies. Tapalti has occupied his brain for the last six and a half years, where he's helped the company grow. He started at Tapalti when he was employee 20-something, but today, the San Mateo startup is a true success story with nearly 600 employees. A marketing pocket knife, Derek is involved in PR, content, and brand storytelling. In former incarnations, he was a marketing consultant, as well as holding product and corporate marketing roles at underdog disruptor startups. When he's not marketing, he's parenting, playing music, and binging podcasts with a solid affinity for creator journeys, film criticism, and Star Trek. Derek, thanks again for being with me. Thanks for inviting me, Brian. Great to be here. So for those who aren't familiar, what is Tapalti? What's the business? So Tapalti provides software for finance teams. Um, we focus on the mid-size, high-growth businesses, and we're helping them streamline their back office processes. Specifically, we help around uh, what we call scalable global accounts payable. And we've actually recently added procurement management through the to an acquisition uh, of approve.com. Um, but where we've cut our teeth really is a lot of digital first companies. So those in the new newly defined creator economy, online marketplaces, and ad tech type business models. 
Uh, we make payments to streamers on Twitch, game developers on Roblox, affiliate marketers for Go GoDaddy, fitness instructors on ClassPass, photojournalists at National Geographic, all the musicians that are uh, putting music out on DistroKid. Uh, so it really runs the gamut of like the digital economy side of the business, but we also deal with kind of like your bread and butter, invoice-based uh, accounts payable, uh, a lot of global companies, a lot of growing companies. Uh, I can't even imagine how many companies went public <laughs> while using Defaulty. Uh, so it's been a nice mix of kind of everybody under the sun. Use our product and go public feels like a pretty good tagline. Um, <laughs> but you're the marketing guy, not me. Yeah, I can't say that per se, uh, but we definitely see some trends in that direction. So lead gen and content have a weird marriage where one is about results and the other is about the joy in delivering the message. How do you think about this balance when architecting a content marketing campaign? Yeah, it's a great question. It definitely involves a lot of close working relationships with the demand gen team. Um, we have kind of a push-pull mentality. Every professional you approach with content really has one thing that will make them engage and take action. Uh, and I think they ask themselves, is this experience with this content going to make what I do better? Does it provide me with information that furthers my understanding of my business or my career? And that's really the promise of B2B content. So B2C content is a little different. It's more peer engagement. This is about like, am I going to get better at my job? Am I going to get better? Is this better for my business? And then from demand gen side, really, they're hooking, looking to hook into, is this person going to be a sales lead first and foremost? And then the distant second is building up their database and building up the nurture stream for them, but really it's focused on sales. So both of these are really important and vital, uh, especially for companies that don't have immediate brand recognition when you're smaller, it's all about the hustle and you got to get those leads in. Thankfully, as we've kind of matured, it's becoming a little bit more freer. Uh, in terms of the content net. So we've been able to expand and do a little bit more kind of top of funnel uh, material. The content teams really can also use demand gen as a bit of a measuring stick. So because they own the distribution channel, they know what kind of content is creating engagement. Uh, and so we can look at that and kind of determine uh, what our roadmap is for that. And yeah, you know, I always I often wonder if there should be some formal discipline in marketing uh, that is really an extension of demand gen, uh, something more like engagement gen <laughs> or engagement generation. Uh, it's not so tied to the sales funnel, but as a content producer, you know, that would be super valuable uh, to think like a streaming service. You know, you've already essentially paid for this content, but you want to increase the deployment to people. Um, and you know, what is that going to look like? What does that need to be? There's an entire science around that. And uh, it's probably where marketing is headed in the future. But I, I think people are being tired of sold to per se. So really it's about creating a brand affinity with brand content and you know, whoever your target is. It feels like the businesses that do branded conferences, Dreamforce, for example, mm -hmm. That's obviously like the Mount Rushmore of, of company conferences, but that feels almost like what you're talking about a little bit, which is, yeah, there's a lead gen, demand yeah. gen function here, but really this is about engagement. This is about thought leadership. It's about education. It's about networking. Right. Is that what you mean in some ways when you talk about this sort of next extension of engagement gen? 
I think so. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, even somebody who's not in market yet, you want to prime them so that they're always thinking when I need payables or when I need in Salesforce, when I need uh, a tool that will help me with on the sales side, I don't necessarily need to be buying right now, but I have an affinity towards uh, the things in the Salesforce ecosystem. Um, and so I will tie myself to those areas. And from a content producer perspective, it, it's freeing because it means like you can talk about more things, but at the same time, it's like I, it will be more of a give on that side. So I have to provide the information to the prospect. I have to provide, I have to make them smarter. <laughs> and the only way to do that is to give up information or to give up a certain amount of sales process for that. And, uh, and ultimately that's the tie-in. Your team operates something of an in-house agency. How are the needs of sales enablement the same or different from product marketing, for example? What's your advice to content teams that are looking to build out cross-functional strategies? Well, every company is different. I think good content producers always hone in on their audiences. Uh, they're always working with, we, we like working with different audiences. Um, it makes the job more interesting. If you're only going to produce content for XYZ function, from a business perspective, you start to run out of things to talk about. Uh, so from a content side, you really want to be able to expand and try to do different ideas. When you uh, work a story for sales or a customer, you know, the, the focus is on persuasion and uh, that you want them to take a different approach to whatever it is they're doing. Uh, so you have different goals in mind from, you know, you know from a Tapalti side, the product offering is so vast. You know, we handle so many parts of the finance process. It's hard, often hard to like give one big mission statement around it, especially since like the pain points are more end goal or, or the pain points are more around uh, specific areas. Uh, and so if you can't think holistically about it, it's very hard to tell that story. It's a very epic story. Uh, and I've, I liken it to if you're going on your first date with somebody and suddenly you're revealing your full medical history and your relationships and all your hopes and dreams and what, you know, any allergies you might have, uh, all that stuff is kind of, it's going to create insecurity uh, about that situation. And in wanting to demonstrate your completeness and competence, you might actually be scaring somebody off or overwhelming them. So you don't need to necessarily come at it by opening the kimono up um, and, and telling everything about yourself. So it's a kind of a dance. Um, and so you'd have to create content that maybe is more uh, pointed around a specific area and know that down the road, I have three more nurture streams that are gonna get them to uh, a much more full-bodied approach, but initially I just need to focus on a few things. And that's hard. It's hard with a broad suite of uh, solution sets. And so like, it's very challenging, I think, for even our sales team to be able to convey the full breadth while also not overtaking the conversation and forgetting to listen to their prospects. Uh, so the, I think our goal is be desirable and not desperate. <laughs> in the eyes of the prospect. My takeaway from your answer is that you have not had many first dates that involved lots of tequila. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. 
<laughs> Can you explain account-based marketing? How does it work? Yeah, account-based marketing, uh, particularly in the B2B environment or ABM for short, uh, it's a very focused, targeted approach to engaging with customers. Uh, really, you're trying to learn and anticipate your customers' individual needs. Uh, it's about selling and marketing to multiple people in organizations and tailoring the messaging around that. Uh, so rather kind of a, rather than a spray and pray approach, um, you're trying to create these kind of bespoke, nuanced content campaigns that will lead to the next level of engagement. And if you do it right, or rather to do it right, you need a lot of data about that company. Uh, who are the decision makers? Who are the influencers at that business? What projects do they likely have going on based on you know what you've studied about them? Even down to what kind of wine or music they like. So there's a little bit of stalking involved at the, at the individual level. Any type of insight you might have about somebody, you would then use that into your in your ABM campaign. And then uh, build a very tight integration with your sales team about how to do the follow-ups. Uh, honing in on their top accounts and then kind of arming them with these marketing assets that are uh, rich and ready to go, but they're very tuned uh, uh, according to uh, what that account looks like. This strategy seems to only make sense with high deal sizes, big deal sizes. Like if you're the type of product where it's sort of like, you know, $12.99 a month and it's meant to scale, like you're not taking the time and effort to do this, right? Like you're talking about six figure plus type of deals. Yeah, they generally have to have ROI associated with it. There are ways to do kind of like mini ABM type of engagements where maybe you are able to personalize certain display ads, for example, um, and then do retargeting based on that. So that's a form of ABM, um, but it's not as fully baked as like, these larger account approaches. I'll get you out of this on, on this question. We were just talking a second ago about Dreamforce, for example. Yeah. Event marketing and conferences has been a big part of your marketing toolkit. Did you develop any best practices during the pandemic for how to get the most out of marketing and selling during virtual events? <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of, like a lot of companies, COVID just spun everything out of control. And incidentally, we just finished free branding at the time. And we were getting ready to jump into a lot of engagements. Uh, we had national brand media set up. Uh, we had tons of in-person events we were going to either present or uh, sponsor. Uh, we had a roadshow type uh, series that we we're going to do. So, And all of that, we had to hit the brakes because nobody knew around March timeframe what was going to happen or how long this thing would last. So thankfully, as a SaaS business, we were able to be fairly pandemic-proof. Uh, in fact, since we're digitally transforming a lot of the antiquated finance processes, uh, business ac businesses actually sought us out and we were actually had a very strong growth through the last six, 18 months or so. But as far as events go, it was about turning very quickly into virtual events and then figuring out how to, uh, how the marketing team would function in, in lieu of that, because we've done virtual events, we've done physical events, um, but uh, the ask now was like purely virtual. How do you do that? And, and everybody's in Zoom <laughs> having these meetings and discussions. So uh, what we ended up doing, I think, is a few things. We really had to shore up our, our project management side um, and really take a good look at like how to optimize that because 
you're going to miss things uh, along the way. You had new people coming on board. And so they're adding their own flavors to things. It really was about having meetings where you get very specific and be very clear about your requests. So just operationally from a marketing side, it was very challenging to do that. And then we try not to boil the ocean. (laughs) So uh, you want to like make every event super, you know, super, and you want to do, you know, two events a week or something like that. That's a lot to ask, uh, just in from a content perspective, training that stuff out. Uh, so had to be a little bit more uh, judicious about like not going too far. And, you know, I think there's also Zoom fatigue you have to contend with. Audiences tend to be smaller, so you have to be more realistic about results. And uh, because there's more of them and now everybody's doing the virtual events, So now you're competing with the other noisemakers that are out there. Uh, And so there's a lot to to, to digest Um, from that standpoint. I think it was just be more realistic about the whole situation and uh, and communicating that to uh, sales and to the finance teams that are kind of monitoring our traction. You know, we can't, it's a different environment. Uh, There were things like tactically we could do Uh, We would do more CPE type events. So that would offer up certification credits. uh, So it's less promotional in that sense and more educational. Uh, We would elevate our speaker quality. So we've got new speakers, additional speakers. So it's not always to faulty mouthpieces. And then uh, we offered up more content that was more tangential. So going back to that top of funnel uh, set of content discussions, we would have, um, we would, do more of that. And I think that's a great thing because we're actually going to carry that over until next year. And then I think what we learned, and this probably goes to all marketers, is that authenticity matters. So for us, especially since companies rely on us to make payments for them, there needs to be a certain level of trust. So appearing real and authentic and helpful, the whole world has gone that way in a lot of ways in terms of marketing, in terms of brand. Um, so we've really kind of climbed onto that as well. Current climate is reinforcing that need. And actually from a marketing perspective, you know, you feel less gross <laughs> if you can be more authentic. Um, you know, you don't feel like you're giving up too much of your own personal beliefs. If you can be more authentic, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, how you market a business. I'm joined today by Derek Chang. Derek, thanks so much for your wisdom today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian.